afternoon, everybody. Welcome to uh, our Sunday school. Things may look a little different from our normal setup here. Uh, unfortunately, Greg came down with the flu. He just found out this morning he had a fever over the weekend, he told me, so I knew he wasn't going to be able to be here as of yesterday, but this morning he said he's got the flu, so uh, pray for him. Just I know their whole family has, has been sick over the last week or so, or at least their kids have been, and uh, I know the flu is making its rounds right now. A lot of people have been sick, and so we want to pray for him. Uh, last week we mentioned um, about, at the beginning last week, we mentioned very briefly <clears throat> about the Alistair Begg controversy regarding uh, whether or not Christians should attend uh, LGBT weddings, especially in his case, uh, transgender weddings. And so I, what, what Greg and I decided to do, and if you were here, we would still be doing the same sort of setup, basically. Uh, we decided instead of spending half the day today talking about that and then giving a breakneck transition into Israel and the church, we're just going to take the whole time today and talk about this one issue. Because I, I think it's important. It kind of connects back to our culture series that we did a year ago, and it would just kind of be a continuation of that series. And <clears throat> I also don't want to misrepresent Beg. I want to let him speak. And uh, we're going to show, I've got, there's no way, I doubt we're going to watch it all. I've got almost 19 minutes worth of video. So I'm going to be sort of interacting with the video as we go back and forth. I've, I've, got, I've edited this video down to 19 minutes minutes worth of, of clips, and uh, we'll, we'll sort of walk through that. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 10. We, we hope to get there shortly. Matthew chapter 10. We're happy to have Billy Dudley back from Madagascar on a work trip for 10 days or so, and uh, glad he's, he's back with us uh, after all that travel. I think, it was, was it 30 hours on the way back of travel? 26 hours on the way back. There you go. That, that sounds like quite, quite a trek there. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will we'll jump in. Again, I, I want us to be, this is a very hard balance. I want us to be very humble in the way that we talk about this. I also don't want to be naive to what's happening. And um, I don't want to just throw out 40 years of faithful ministry from Alistair Begg. At the same time, I don't want to minimize the, the recent error that he's made. So we're going to sort of be walking that tightrope as we go. And uh, let, let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I do ask for, uh, for our church for that balance, and, and it's very hard to get right of humility and discernment. It is humble to be discerning. Uh, we don't want our discernment to become hypercriticism, where we're just nitpicking at any small thing we find wrong in anybody's life or ministry, but I don't think this is a small error. Uh, I think this is one of significance, and I think it is worth our time to think through, because not just because it has to do with a pastor that we have traditionally loved and quoted here so often at our church, but also because it touches on an issue that is uh, wide in its implications for Christians who seek to be faithful uh, in this current age in which we live, in which we're facing things that the Christian church has never really had to deal with or think through or respond to in these exact ways, maybe in all of, all of its history. So I pray, God, for discernment, clear thinking. I pray we would be biblically informed, that we would not let our instincts or our intuitions uh, even our emotions regarding some of these hot-button issues to control our thinking, but that your word, uh, soberly thought through and considered and rightly understood, would control our thinking. Uh, God, I pray that you would give us great love for unbelievers in our lives, whatever sin they may struggle with, whether it's like sins we've struggled with or unlike sins we struggle with, whatever it may be. Uh, give us real, genuine love for unbelievers, but I pray that we would not compromise truth uh, in our effort to reach uh, an unbelieving world that we, that we desperately want to know Jesus. Uh, we do not want to be guilty of editing your Bible in order to make it more appealing situation for everyone involved. So make us faithful, humble, gracious, joyful, 
loving and convictional all at the same time, like, like Jesus. And I pray that you would guide our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the way I've, I've spliced this together, I don't want you to get lost as this thing goes, because it just transitions from video to video with no, uh, no, no transition. It just jumps from one thing to another. So the first couple of minutes, I'm going to show you a, a, a little snippet from a sermon from Alistair Begg dating back just over a year. So as I think it was the end of 2022, December, uh, a year and a bit ago. And he is preaching through Romans chapter 1. And if you know Romans chapter 1, you know verses 26 and 27 are probably two of the clearest and most important verses on homosexuality in the entire Bible. Uh, I think they're the most important in the whole Bible because it deals with both lesbianism and uh, male homosexuality very clearly there. And it's clearly considered sinful, but Paul also gives the gospel as the hope for everybody in that category and beyond in that text. So Begg is preaching on that passage, and I want you to hear the way Begg typically preaches, which is with the kind of biblical clarity that I'm used to. He's one of my favorite, he's been one of my favorite preachers. He's probably in my top five favorite guys to listen to, maybe at least my top 10 up until right now. Uh, so let's listen to how he would normally deal with this issue. Uh, and he still believes what he says in the sermon he says, but, but uh, here's, here's from a year and a bit ago. We have at the same time got to be prepared to say this, that we are not free to tamper with the Bible. If you simply choose the parts of the Bible you like and reject the parts that you don't like, then you don't believe the Bible. You believe yourself. That's what you believe. You don't believe the Bible. Why would I ever come here and do verses 26 and 27 unless I absolutely believe that the Bible is God's Word, that it is unerring, and it speaks truth, even on a Sunday morning like this in 2020-whatever it is? We're not at liberty to rewrite the Bible to accommodate godless perspectives on abortion, on euthanasia, on same-sex marriage, on transgenderism, and more. We're not. So here's the challenge. How do you do this? How do you honor God, obey His Word, and treat your neighbors and your friends and your family members who have decided to go on this path? What what happens to homosexual people, in my experience, is that they are either reviled or they are affirmed. The Christian has to say, we will not treat you in either of those ways. We cannot revile you, but we cannot affirm you. And the reason that we can't revile you is the same reason why we can't affirm you, because of the Bible because of God's love, because of His grace, because of His goodness. And it okay, let me pause there. Could you all hear all right? Is the audio loud enough? Okay, so uh, before I get to this next clip, you can hear there, that, that's, that's how he preached, again, just recently, and he quoted from this sermon in his more recent sermon that was more troubling that we'll talk about in just a moment. I also want to show you a snippet from another interview. It comes from last year. I think it was June or July. Um, not far from around the same time he made these more troubling comments. He was being interviewed, and the question was being asked, uh, what if uh, the, the desire to seek to bring people to Christ who are in the LGBT community, what if in a desire to do that, you are considered going against what is often called conversion therapy, right? And conversion therapy can be a whole mess to try to figure out what that's talking about there. But he said, what if, what if a law said trying to be biblical was against the law on, on this issue? What would you do? And Alistair Begg gives a tremendously good answer. Again, this is last summer. And it meant that by urging an individual in your church to embrace the Christian sexual ethic, you would be breaking that law. What would you do, Alistair? Well, I think that that would be absolutely straightforward. I, that, you know, the exception clause, if you like, 
you know, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to pay attention to you or to obey God. Um, we don't want to be hauling that out every 15 minutes. But in an instant like this, instance such as that, it wouldn't even be a question for me. I mean, I'm facing that right now in many ways. I mean, because the material that I've just done in the second half of Romans 1, um, you know, goes out on the airwaves. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed uh, or perhaps disappointed that it hasn't actually uh, reached into the, the realm about which we're talking. And we've been protected from that. But I'm of the conviction that eventually, unless this thing turns around, some pastor, and hopefully it'll be a sensible soul, will end up having to go to jail for violating uh, the commands of the state. And of course, the Scots, as you know, have a very long history of doing that, especially against kings and authorities, and not always uh, desirable, but nevertheless, no, it's not controversial to me. It's not even a question. Um, the Bible is the Bible. We have to be prepared to say if your sexual biological framework is unalterable as given by God. And it Okay, so pause there. So if you're used to listening to Alistair Begg, that's the kind of stuff you're probably used to hearing him say. And that's just straight up the middle, basic biblical teaching, solid, really good. He's been doing that for 40 years in Ohio. That's what, that's what I'm used to. And uh, then in September, so right around the same time as that last video, he said that, now let me just give you a little background here because it's not all on this video. He said that in the, as he was working through Romans 1, he was writing a book called A Christian Manifesto, I believe is the name of the book, it's right here, The Christian Manifesto. And he said as he was working through this, he was wrestling with what Romans 1 teaches so clearly that uh, LGBTQ lifestyles are sinful, they, they lead toward, toward condemnation. We want to love those people with the truth, and he's been wrestling with, how do you love these people in our lives who are on that side of the fence while holding to the truth, but also how do we show compassion and love for them? He said he felt like the Lord was really challenging him in these areas to, to express compassion maybe in unexpected ways. And this is where the clip that came out in September, it went under the radar, most people did not notice this clip, it then hit uh, Twitter, now known as X, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> X, Twitter recently, and it kind of blew up, it went viral online, and then everybody started talking about this about two weeks ago. So this is, you, many of you have already seen this before or listened to it, this is the clip that went to all of his radio stations and on his podcast, and this was where I was not expecting Alistair Begg to say what he said, this is, this is what sparked the whole controversy. Specific areas this comes across, I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Mm. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, 
unprepared mm -hmm. to countenance anything. Let me just pause there, and you can already see right where the controversy lies here with, with Beg. One of the issues here that I think we've got to be so careful about, and I think, I want to say this humbly, I think he's wrong, just, I think he's directly wrong on this. We cannot let how people respond to the truth and our desire to be faithful to the truth, we can't let that response dictate ultimately how we act. Do you see how important this is? More and more, I think, the call for compassion and evangelism, which we all want to be compassionate and we all want to be evangelistic, but we cannot compromise basic truths in the process of trying to win converts. And I've said this before at our church, and this is no knock on evangelism or missions because I think those things are of utmost importance, but I will say this. Liberalism always comes through the door of evangelism. I'm going to say that again. Liberalism, bad theology, always starts with evangelism. Why? Because we want the unbeliever to believe. And so we know the offensive parts of the Bible are going to keep them from believing. And so what do we want to do? We want to excise them from the Bible. We want to take a knife and just take the offensive part and we want to remove it so that the unbeliever will receive Jesus. But the problem is, if we cut the truth out of the Bible, are they actually going to be receiving the biblical Jesus? No, they're going to be receiving an edited Jesus, which is not actually Jesus. Does everybody, that, that's just like the central hub of the issue. We can't let the response to us dictate how we act and what we believe. That, that's just bottom line. Okay, we'll keep going here. It is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. Truth for life. Okay, let me just say here, if you don't know, this is Owen Strand, who I really like, and Grant Castleberry, uh, they're, they're friends. Uh, I don't know Castleberry as well, but they both seem to be very solid. Owen, I know, is, is solid, and they're, they're good friends. Grant Castleberry said, and I, cut, I didn't have time to include this, he just said he personally knows Alistair Begg. He's, he, he's like, whenever I've had, I've had issues at my church, he's a, you know, a younger pastor from Begg. He said, I've had issues in my church, difficulties. Alistair Begg has been a phone call away from me for a long time. I've been able to call him. He'll take time and help me, counsel me, pastor me. He said he's, he's doing his PhD thesis on Martin Lloyd-Jones because of Alistair Begg's love of Martin Lloyd-Jones. So he's like, I mean, he's like, Begg is like one of my heroes. He's like one of the guys I know, I love, and yet... Even he is going on record right now to call one of his heroes and mentors out on this very issue. He, he does it graciously, but he says, I know him personally. I love him. He's wrong on this. He's wrong. So, so listen to Strand and Castleberry discuss this a little bit. Truth for life is, um, I don't know the precise stats, but it is definitely one of the biggest media ministries in the evangelical world of any kind. Uh, not just the reformed evangelical world, but the evangelical world broadly. A uh, figure I, I saw last week in terms of the radio station reach of Truth For Life was 1,800 radio stations uh, Truth For Life plays on. So we, we're we not dealing here, this is very important, we're not dealing here with, um, this wasn't kind of a private little affair where a pastor was really muddle-headed and it went viral because somebody jumped on it and pounced on it. This was promoted on one of the largest media programs in the Christian world. It went out to 1,800 stations. It went out on podcasts all over the world. It was public teaching that Alistair Begg chose to give. What does Okay, let me, let me pause there. So uh, back to what they were, they were just saying. 
Number one uh, is, why would our church take the time to spend a whole Sunday school responding to what one pastor in Ohio said that I've never met before and I don't think any of us have ever met before? Why, why would we spend 45 minutes on, th on this one thing, a comment that he said? Well, the answer is this. Number one, we quote Alistair Begg a lot at our church. We've quoted him the whole time our church has been around. I've quoted him, Scott, Jerry, Greg. We've all quoted him. We've loved him. Uh, he's been a very faithful pastor. So number one, it's, it's someone that we've given a lot of credence to who's made a misstep on an important area. Number two, the issue in which he's made a misstep is not just some issue that doesn't really matter or whatever. This is something that we're all facing. Like people in this room are facing relatives who are having these kinds of weddings. They're, they're, you're going to ask questions. Can you go as a grandmother or a parent or a sibling? What should you do? Uh, I mean, I, I, I will not go into specifics here. I have a former student. I, I've taught at two different schools over years. I'm not going to go specific here. I have a former student uh, who I used to teach who he uh, had a wedding ceremony with another man. Okay, so he, he so-called got married to another man. In God's eyes, that's not truly a marriage because of how God understands marriage and how he's presented it, but he, he considers himself married. And then another girl I taught was a bridesmaid in the ceremony. And that was heart-crushing to me, not just that the ceremony happened, but that a girl that I know was a bridesmaid in the ceremony. So it, it, that is giving an approval to the union. You see, by, by going and participating in that celebratory experience, you are giving approval to what is happening before you, and that is not okay. And so again, I, I, I tell my students all the time, you're going to graduate from high school, almost none, I, I don't know anybody I've ever taught who's graduated to become a Hindu or a Buddhist. I've never seen anyone follow Confucius after they left my class. I've never seen anyone become a Muslim after leaving my class. How many kids have I seen who've become secular and have embraced the LGBT agenda? A large number. If there's one place where the world is making inroads in the church, it's on this issue. So when a guy as solid as 40 years of beg preaching so well expositionally, when a guy that sound makes such a critical error of judgment, we've got to talk about it. It's public teaching. It should be responded to publicly. I don't want all of you guessing what we might think as pastors about this. I want you to know what we think. We love Alistair Begg. We pray for his repentance. But this is a serious judgment error that he's made here. So let's keep, uh, keep going. Then the next clip you're going to see is Alistair Begg last Sunday evening. The, 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 for 10 days, this thing blew up on the internet so big, so large, that he, his elders asked him, apparently, or they agreed that he would respond to it in their Sunday evening service. So last Sunday evening, you may have seen it, it's a 46-minute sermon. I recommend you go watch it so you can learn discernment about what's wrong with the logic of the sermon. He uses the prodigal son story from Luke 15 that we all know so well. And I hate to say this about a guy like Begg, 71 years old, faithful, he very poorly exegetes, and I think really eisegetes the passage. He, he reads into the text what he wants to see about his answer, I think, and, and claims the text is, is supporting his view that Jesus would support attending the transgender wedding. I'm sorry, that's, that's just not what Luke 15 is about. And so you're going to see little snippets now from his sermon from last Sunday, and I'm going to intersperse it with other clips as we go. Give. What distinguished Jesus from the Pharisees was, in a word, grace. The divine initiative which first seeks and then saves the lost sinner. So this video... Okay, so this is Todd Friel in Atlanta, who's solid. He's responding to Beg, and he loves Beg, but he's, again, giving a critical response. Beg just said that his goal is grace and evangelism. That's what he wants. That's his justification. And then here's Todd's response. It's going to sound super critical, which I'm not nuts about because it's Alistair Begg, but I think it's important to interact with what Dr. Begg has advised because this is a big deal. Can't blame a guy for wanting to see people saved, but we have to ask the question. Compassion, even evangelism, they cannot override conviction. So to compromise and attend in hopes of evangelizing, that's pragmatism. 
In that conversation with that grandmother, I was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else, hence my counsel. Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was in the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. But in that case, I answered in that way, and I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the Internet as of the last 10 days. If that were the case, I would never— if that were the case, I would never—I should never have said it in the first place. If people want to, me to recant and to repent, to repent? I, I, I repent daily, because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not ready to repent over this. I don't have to. Okay, I'll just pause there. That, 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 that's the moment where I thought, oh no, uh, he's digging his heels in very much so now, and he, he was taken off uh, over, I don't know how many hundred plus radio stations he was actually taken off of because the head of the radio station said, we, can no, we love you, but we can no longer endorse this, so we're, we're, we're just taking you off air on, I don't, I don't know how many dozens of air, airways he was taken off of just, just before this sermon came out. But again, the, the logic there is, is flawed. He's saying, I'm not going to change. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to adjust my view. I still think there's hope because the Lord can change anyone's view at any time. So we still pray for him. But here's here's Todd Field making an important point. I think about uh, why this why this matters so much. We cannot let our desire to not lose a relationship override what I think is clear in Scripture. Just consider Ephesians 5.11. Don't participate in the useless deeds of darkness. Okay, I'll, I'll stop right here. This is a critical verse that, that a lot of people have quoted here in reference to what he's saying. Ephesians 5, I believe it's verse 11. Do not participate in the useless or fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Here's the question. Is going to the wedding, participating in, or in some way endorsing by your presence, a fruitless deed of darkness? And I believe the answer is unequivocally yes. We're going to talk more about why in just a second, but we got to understand, we do not want to participate in what is dark, because does that love the individual involved? No. Is it loving to those watching? No. Is it, is it the right thing for the glory of God? No, it, it is not. <clears throat> Instead, expose them, for it's disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Now, I think that's pretty clear. Attending a wedding is to participate. I think the right response is to say, I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't violate my conscience, and I can't sin against my God. Jesus warned us, that we'd be divided with loved ones because of him. Should we be offensive, censorious? Of course not. But we have to accept, especially these days, our own children might ghost us because of Jesus. The gospel, it's offensive. Jesus is a stumbling block. It doesn't give us a license to be jerks, but we should expect to lose relationships with loved ones, even grandchildren. Okay, if you have your Bible there to Matthew chapter 10, uh, let's look at that just for a moment. Skip down to verse 21, and we just went through this a few months ago as a church in the main service, Matthew 10, uh, 21. Again, there's no delight in these verses, but they are certainly true, and we need, to, we need to know this. Matthew 10, 21, Jesus says, Brother will deliver over brother to death, and the father his child, and children will, will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look at verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but what? A sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. This is Jesus talking. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother, and you could add or grandchild, more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, do you see how we need this text today? This is not a delightful text. This is not something I look forward to. I don't wish this on anybody. I don't wish this on myself. But is it crystal clear in the text? When push comes to shove, if it's truth versus relationship, at the end of the day, we do everything we can to maintain that relationship. But at the end of the day, when, when, when one has to give, which one's got to give? The relationship has to give over the truth. And I think Beg has got it. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't see that he's got it wrong. I think he's got it backwards. I think he thinks the relationship to the grandchild is almost, I think in practice, is taking precedence over the truth. He doesn't want to be saying that. He doesn't think he's saying that. I think he is saying that. I think he's saying, at the end of the day, the relationship to that grandchild is now taking precedence over how you should act and behave toward that individual. Just while I'm thinking of it, I think I saved a screenshot, and if I didn't, I'll just move on. Let me see if I can find it. On YouTube, let me see if I have it here. Yeah. So under the, under the Todd Friel video, this, this is a comment on YouTube, and this is what a lady said. She, this, is a, this is a mother. She said, I was in this situation a year ago with my son and was torn between going to the wedding because I love him and not going because of my conviction. I struggled with it for months. I did not go. She did not go to her son's, uh, I guess, same-sex so-called marriage. I did not go because I knew God would not be pleased in me affirming transgenderism. Then she says this, um, both the, the little children of his new wife claimed to be transgender, and uh, they were in the bridal party, etc. And then she says, now, a year later, he's back in my life, and his wife says she respects my steadfastness and my faith. I was a witness for Christ in not going. So here's, a, here's one where this guy, he initially, he cut her off from his life for the first year of their marriage afterwards because she didn't go. By the way, just footnote, doesn't that say that going really says something? It says something more than just I'm there. It says something affirming about what's happening. That's the whole reason why it's so emotional about whether you go to a wedding. Because the question is, do you affirm me? And the world is saying, you, you can do whatever you want, but you can't not affirm me. You have to affirm this union. And going is the ultimate way with your body to go be present and to affirm the union. And that's why there's such strong feelings if you won't go. And she says, I didn't go. And by God's grace, uh, the relationship has been able to be repaired to some degree since then, but she did not compromise uh, her conviction. So back to uh, what Beg says. Now, let me say something that would be a little explosive. <laughs> I've lived here for 40 years, and those who know me best know that I am the product of British evangelicalism. I have never been a product of American fundamentalism. I come from a world in which it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, you've got to be removed from the box forever. Okay, let, let me just say here, again, I don't want to get nitpicky, but I do have to push back on this one, okay? I, uh, 
I am not a fundamentalist in the bad sense of the word. I do believe in the fundamentals of the faith, but I'm not a stereotypical fundamentalist in the sense of, you know, uh, adding 57 rules to every verse in the Bible and judging everyone by rules that are not even in the Bible. I'm not talking about that kind of fundamentalism. I, I don't think that a lot of his opponents or the people disagreeing with him are old school fundamentalists, legalists in the way that we often use that word. So I think it's an unfair thing to say you're either against me, you're a fundamentalist with no nuance and no understanding of theological intricacies, or you're from British evangelicalism, you know, the heir of a J.I. Packer type or Sinclair Ferguson, in which case you really get nuance and theological depth and intricacy. Actually, I don't know anyone who's agreeing with him in the Reformed evangelical world. I don't know a single person who's saying, I'm with Beck. Every single person I've looked at and read, Al Mohler and on and on the list goes, John Piper would be in dis disagreement. John MacArthur just asked Alistair Begg to not come to his Shepherd's Conference next month. Al the, 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 the three main speakers next month at Shepherd's Con was John MacArthur, John Piper, and Alistair Beck. And John MacArthur called Alistair Begg on the phone this past week and said, this is going to be an unnecessary distraction to the conference. I don't think this is going to be good. And they agreed that he would not speak at the conference. So it's, it is a big deal what, what, what's going on here. And uh, I don't think it's a lack of nuance. Uh, I, I don't think that's the problem. So let's, let's keep going. He knows full well he is stepping out from the mainstream of the evangelical world. This is a watershed moment in which one of the world's best known Christian preachers and teachers is taking a position basically against everyone in the Christian tradition. Beg is not encouraging the grandmother to cave on the sinfulness of transgender identity or homosexuality, as you, you said. He's clear about that, and we want to be very fair to him, scrupulously fair as Christians. However, his, his stated motive for her attending the ceremony and giving a gift is to not be seen as judgmental. Put slightly differently, he wants the grandmother to be seen as loving. One of the six things which a rabbi was not permitted to do was to converse with a woman in public. That was a sure indication that you were off base, because rabbis don't talk to women. The strictest Hasidim wouldn't even be seen talking to their own wives in public. That's how tight they wanted to draw the circle. Now, if you're wondering what he's talking about here, about how certain Jewish rabbis would say, don't talk to a woman in public, and Jesus shocks by speaking to the woman at the well in public. Okay, we're dealing with apples and oranges right now, Alistair Begg. I love you, but this is, this is apples and oranges. We agree, rabbis in the first century added rules to the Bible that were not in the Bible that said men shouldn't converse with women in public. Is that a biblical rule? No, that's why Jesus doesn't keep the rule. It's not a biblical rule. It's a, it's a made-up legalism. We all would agree it's absurd, okay? But is that the same thing as a Christian attending a same-sex or transgender wedding? No, because I would say the Bible says don't participate in works of darkness but expose them, and going to a celebration and bringing a gift, is that supporting the, the union? Yes, it is. So this is, we're not talking about adding weird legalisms like rabbis that had Hundreds and, thousands of extra, hundreds and thousands of extra rules, we're talking about just directly taking the text and applying it to real life. We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about, so it's apples and oranges. I don't think legalism is the right accusation against his opponents right now. The Pharisees would gather up their robes in righteous horror at the possibility of even coming within breathing space of a prostitute. And she comes and breaks a flask over his feet. This guy cannot be who he says he is. Okay, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in class right now. This is how I work in class. I pause obsessively, and the students are like, just play it. I'm like, I won't. I'm going to stop again. So uh, let me stop again right here and say a word about what he just said. 
It's one thing for Jesus to let a, uh, a woman who's repented of prostitution come into the home, break the alabaster flask of ointment. She was a woman of the city who was a sinner, probably a prostitute. She weeps over his feet. Are the religious people offended? Wrongly. Yes. Okay, now, that's very different than this. Switch scenarios. If Jesus was invited to the celebration to the opening of a brothel, would Jesus go? To celebrate the opening of a, of, of a, of a, of a, of a place for prostitution? No. He would not go and participate in the celebration of the opening of a new brothel. But would he let a woman who has repented of prostitution weep over his feet? Of course, those are completely different situations. And would you preach the gospel to a prostitute? Yes, even one who is currently an unrepentant prostitute. Absolutely you should. But should you go to the celebration of the opening of a brothel? No, and should you bring a gift? Absolutely not. Do you see, there's category confusion in his mind, whether deliberate or not, he's just got this wrong. And so, yes, Jesus was gracious to sinners. He did not celebrate their sin. These are very different things. Okay, we'll keep going. If he was really the Son of God, he wouldn't be doing this. Loved ones, Phariseeism is alive and well in all of our hearts. We have to guard against it. Again, I'm pausing. He's right. Pharisaism is alive and well in all of our hearts. But I don't think the situation he's dealing with has anything to do with Pharisaism. <laughs> I think it has to do with obedience. The motivation for purity and holiness of life and circumspection and so on is absolutely unquestionable. The real challenge comes when we are confronted by issues that don't just fit our clean little categories. You know, if Alice okay, th this response from Grant Castleberry is really worth listening to carefully. I thought this was really well said. You know, if Alistair watches this, I would just encourage you, Alistair, to, to prayerfully consider really what a wedding ceremony is. Listen to this. Because that has been what has not been addressed in, in your statement and in your initial statement is what a wedding ceremony actually is. There's so many ways that we can show love to a homosexual family member. The issue ethically is that a wedding is a public celebration mm -hmm. of the union that is taking place. Yes. And we've talked about this quite a bit, but in the formal liturgy, the, the pastor, the, the, the officiant will say, if anyone has a reason why these two should not wed in holy matrimony, speak now or forever, hold your peace. So there is a, a formal approval and a blessing on the union that takes place at a wedding ceremony. For example, when the bride, it begins to be walked down the aisle, what does everybody do? Stand up. Everybody stands up. Mm when the officiant says, you may now kiss the bride. What does everybody do? Everybody claps. Uh, everybody celebrates. What happens when you go to the reception and, and the, the, the bride and the groom have their, their treasured first dance? You know, everybody claps and, yeah. and it's, it's all participatory. It's, it's all a celebration. Do you hear, this is really a great point. Can you neutrally attend a wedding? No. By its nature, you're sitting there, you stand up when the bride comes in, you applaud when they kiss, after the first dance, you applaud. What is all that saying? I approve of this. I'm celebrating this. This is a good thing. And if the union is itself a sin, a sinful union, 
How can you applaud? How can you stand? How can you participate? How can you be there in that sense? It, it is not loving uh, to, 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 to do those things. But it's taking place. And you, you just read Ephesians 5.11, do not partake of works of darkness. So to me, this is not a gray issue. This is a black and white issue. Mm -hmm. When you attend a wedding, a, a, a transgender wedding, a homosexual wedding, yep. you are participating in a work of darkness. You are, you are li lending your credence to something that God says is wrong. And that, by the way, is actually very confusing. And in the long run, I know it seems like it's compassionate, but it's actually hurtful towards the person. He says of the older brother, he represents those to whom religion is a matter of merit, and it's just reward, and to whom the concept of grace is unjust, even immoral. He knew nothing of the guilt which no human merit can expunge, nothing of the divine offer of an unmerited forgiveness, nothing of heavenly joy over penitent sinners. He was harsh, sour, self-righteous, and pitiless. While others made merry, he himself stayed away, and he sulked. In brief, he was a Pharisee. The challenge for me in this is I just assume, and I, I'm not going to assume it anymore, I assume that people are able to put two and two together and get four. What does he mean by that? I, I've assumed up until now people can put two and two together and get four, not five or three. What he means is, I thought people could understand that I've taught so clearly that uh, homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful, that I think you can also go to the wedding without in any way compromising those beliefs. You, you, can, you, can, put, you can hold on to both of those. You can attend without approving. And that's where he never clearly addressed the fact that attendance is approval when it's a wedding. And if you haven't thought about this, uh, I, I wrote down a list. Not all these are original to me. I tried to think of some examples. Can I give you some absurd examples of of some scenarios, and you, you tell me. Okay, you're ready. here we go. Let's say that you were invited to one of these events, and you let the person know ahead of time you did not approve of the event, but you went anyway, and is there a way to go without approving if they know that you don't approve in your mind? Would you attend? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be gross here, okay, but I'm just, this is, I'm just gonna go with some stuff. You ready? Here we go. Would you, intend, would you attend an incestuous marriage between a brother and a sister? My, my assumption is everyone, would, I bet even Alistair Beck would be like, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's so bad that to go is just ridiculous. It's absurd to go. No, of course not. I would love them too much to go, right? Would you attend a marriage between a mother and her son? Would you attend a KKK rally unless you were there to object to it? Of course not. Uh, would you uh, attend a party for a shout your abortion uh, woman who had had her child killed. So th this, you know, shout your abortion was a thing that went viral a few years ago on, online. And there, I've actually seen a video of a woman, and I'm sure she was doing this to get some views online. She had just had her baby killed in her, in her stomach, in her womb. And to celebrate her abortion, she had a cake made uh, celebrating her right to choose. It was an abortion party. And she's, you know, I don't know if she invited people or however it went, but just imagine, just, I know this sounds theoretical, but it's not impossible that this could happen. Imagine you get invited to the party. You're invited to a shout your abortion, a party where she's celebrating her freedom to choose her re reproductive rights. She's got a cake made celebrating the death of her child, right? And celebrating her autonomy. She invites you to come and you say, okay, as long as she knows that I don't approve of abortion, should I at least go and bring a gift? Of course not. 
This is obvious, of course not. You can't go to go and bring a gift is to celebrate the sin. And that is not loving to her, to her baby, or to anyone else involved or anyone else who is watching. Would you, um, would you attend the celebration of, uh, well, on and on. You, you can come up with more and more lists. Let, let me just mention a couple of verses here. Uh, if you have a, your Bible there, turn to Romans 12. And I just want to look at one verse. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. We know this verse, but I, I want you to everybody see it. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you, do you see the most important words there for our situation is the first two words. If possible means within the moral guidelines of, of what, within the moral guidelines of Scripture. If possible, live at peace with everyone. Uh, you cannot ultimately do, you can't have no rules attached to the, the living peaceably. One more verse I want to just mention real quick. You can jot it down or look at it later. 2 John 1, verse 6. There's only one chapter, so just 2 John 6. Uh, it says this. This is love. So you ready for a definition of love? This is love that we walk according to God's commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. This is love that you walk according to God's commandments. Love is not going to be defined that way by the world. The world will say love is affirming my desires. The Bible says love is obeying God's commands. If we're going to give way to the world's definition of love, we're going to give up everything by the end of the day. We've got to hold to God's definition of love, which is keeping his commandments, even if it divides families, which Jesus said would happen. And we hate it, but it's going to happen. Not five or seven or nine or whatever it is. So, for example, um, in the last days when this thing began, um, my daughter said to me, Dad, you were way ahead of this game a long time ago when Ellen DeGeneres came out and you preached those sermons on the gay debate. I mean, you've been so clear about this for all of your ministry. What is this about? I said, honey, I don't, I don't really know what it's about, but uh, yeah, that's right. And most recently, in dealing with Romans chapter 1. So I assume that anybody who picks this up goes, oh, well, wait a minute. Whatever, whatever he's on about there, there's no reason for alarm, because after all, listen to what he said. Now understand that this grandchild was an enemy of the gospel, an enemy really in the family circle by dint of her lifestyle, an enemy. And Jesus says, you're supposed to love your enemies. Now, we can disagree over whether I gave that grandmother good advice or not. Not everybody on the pastoral team thinks I gave very good advice. It's interesting, even amongst his own elders, I'm sure it's a large group of elders because it's a big church. I don't know if they have 20, 30, 40, I don't know how many elders. But he said, do you hear a number of his own elders don't agree with him, which is telling you something. And as I said, uh, you know, on another occasion with a different person in a different context, the advice may be very different. But at least let's acknowledge the fact that what we're doing is we're wrestling with biblical principle. And when principle for, let's say, holiness of life comes up against the principle of love for your enemy, how are you, how are you going to put that together? You got a problem with the grandmother showing up, sitting on the front row, in a context that she absolutely despises, and sitting on our lap, nicely wrapped with beautiful paper and a bow around it, is her gift, the gift of a Bible. For a granddaughter, she knows, has no interest in the Bible. 
but because she believes that the entrance of God's Word brings light, she is prepared to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. And just one other thought, and I expect people to how do they decide which bit they're going to troll through the social media, which bits they want to pick up? Where were they when, when, when I was speaking at the Christian college on the West Coast, and I had a lesbian walkout? And they, they shut the whole thing down and walked out, and the campus went into chaos for a week. You know why? Because I was explaining Ephesians chapter 5, and I made the most unbelievable mistake of saying the only place for sexual relationships is within a heterosexual, monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for life. And, and at that, they stood up and walked out. Well, why didn't somebody catch that one for me? Yeah, I just want to say here, the world may pick that clip and try to, you know, give him a bad reputation, because that's taboo to the culture, obviously. But here's the thing. Why didn't Christians pick that clip rather than the other one? Because this clip, he's saying what's absolutely biblical, right, and true. The problem is his application of this truth is flawed in a major way, and he is stepping out of the ranks of all Reformed evangelicalism, and really conservative evangelicalism broadly, and he's taking a position that no one holds right now, and I hope no one else holds, although 10 years from now, I'm sure more people will hold that position. So it's because his application of a biblical truth is truly unbiblical. That's why there's such a, a, a big call about this right now. <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad they didn't, and I'll tell you why. Because if I've got to go down on the side of one or the other, I'll go down on this side. I'll go down on the side of compassion with people actually accusing me of just weakness rather than go down on the side of condemnation, which closes any doors of opportunity for future engagement with those who know exactly what we believe about the Bible and about Jesus and about so on. Once again, the framing is just absolutely wrong. He calls the view that I hold, and I think that all of us hold, and I hope in this room, is he calls it what? The, the view of condemnation. Not going to the wedding is condemnation, like a sinful condemnation. And going is the side of compassion. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Compassion, when it violates Scripture, is no longer compassion. It's worldly compromise, whether he sees it or not. It's worldly compromise. It's not compassion. It's worldly compassion, which is not truly biblical compassion. It, it simply is not. And, and to not go is not to condemn, ultimately. It's not, I'm better than you. It's not that. It's saying, I cannot participate and celebrate what is not biblical and what is not godly. So... Uh, you know, I, I hope that this is helpful. I, I think as long as you understand that my response to one grandmother whom I have never met um, was not in any way a blanket recommendation to all Christians to attend LGBTQ weddings. Okay, I'm almost out of time, but I just want to say here, okay, again, let's be honest, Alistair Begg, I agree, it was originally just you talking on the phone with a grandmother you've never met. But did you choose to go on the airways and say it into a microphone for thousands of radio stations and podcasts to hear? Yes, so you can't hide behind it. It was just a private conversation. Yes, and you chose to make it incredibly public. And so you are responsible for what you say through a microphone. We all are. I am right now. You are. We all are. When we are speaking uh, truth, we want to, we, we're, we're all held to be held accountable. And he didn't just have a private conversation. He published his private conversation. And therefore, that's why we're responding to it. It was nothing to do with that at all. If I was misguided in any way, it was I allowed my grandfatherly hat to uh, take over. It was my personal opinion.
as I sensed what was best, as I learned about the individual and specific situation. That's as good as I can say. I hope that will be helpful to you. All right, I'm going to wrap up right there. And uh, I'll just read one more verse, then I'll pray for us. Remember the context about eating in a temple, to meat sacrificed to idol in a pagan temple, 1 Corinthians 10? Can you imagine someone saying, think, think about this, they, they went, they, some Christians in Corinth were going to pagan temples like to Zeus, and they were eating meat that had just been sacrificed to Zeus, and they, they, what they were saying was, we don't believe Zeus is a real God, so it doesn't really matter if we come into the building and eat and celebrate. You see how similar that actually is to the, to the wedding celebration? There's, there's a similarity there, right? They said, we don't believe in Zeus, but they would go into a temple to Zeus and, and eat, the, eat the food. And here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. No, I imply that what pagans off sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. So Paul says, yeah, actually going into the celebration at a pagan feast is to participate in, in, in the evil of what's going on. And Paul says, don't go in there and do that. All right, let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, again, we don't want to walk away self-righteous. We don't want to walk away uh, feeling arrogant about our own selves in this, God. By your grace uh, is the only thing we have that, that holds us to your truth. But God, I do pray that you would give us uh, a sadness of heart and a sobriety. If Beg could, could make an error like this, I think we are all capable of making such an error. I pray that we would um, pray for him. It would be a glorious thing in the next month if he changed his mind publicly and repented. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield had done that in the past about using transgender pronouns. She came out publicly and repented of that and has completely turned around, uh, did that very loudly and, and clearly. I pray that you would work in Alistair's heart, God, show him, uh, the, the, I believe, the true error of this, of this conviction and that you would alter that, that he would he'd come out publicly and repent. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would not be pulled by the intense emotional desire to appease and agree with and not lose relationship that we, we don't want to lose. I pray that those things would not trump the truth. They would not usurp the truth or take over for our convictions about your word because what is true is what's best, it's what's good, it is what is most loving. And this is love, that we walk in your commandments. So God, I pray that we would not be a jerk about it, but that we would be loving, and even when we were rejected or, or, or reviled uh, for the name of Christ, that we would rejoice in that day, knowing that our reward is great in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.